Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Or becoming a Christ follower, being a Christian, coming to Christ, being born again, changes everything. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end, your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my life, every giant will fall, the mountains will move. Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, as we begin this uh, study today, Lord, as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Father, just grant me clarity of expression and grant, grant us, Lord, a heart, Father, a mind, a will to conform ourselves to the image of Christ for the glory of God, for the good of others and our own growth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's message is entitled, This Changes Everything. It is a natural outflow of what we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus talks about the heart condition of a Christ follower in the Beatitudes. And we understand that right side up living in this upside down world begins within us. And changing this world begins within us. As our belief in Christ, our faith in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit resident in us as we try to live in conformity to God's word and will has an impact on the society, on the culture, on the workplace, on the people around us. As we so let our light shine before others that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And as we've begun this series, you know, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I have not come to abrogate the law. I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And what Jesus is going to do now for the next few weeks as we work through the Sermon on the Mount together in in, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel is he's going to make a series of, you have heard it said, but I say to you statements. And what's going on there? What's going on there is this. People had a misunderstanding of the Word of God, of the law of God, of the law and the prophets. And for them, it was a series of rules and regulations and outward conformity. And what he's going to do is to correct the era of the Pharisees, the era of the scribes, the era of the Sadducees, the era of the religious leaders of those days. And that's why you have, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And so 
he's going to speak to his disciples and speak to the crowd. And what we're going to see is, is he lays it out for them and they begin to understand his teaching, his doctrine, right? The Sermon on the Mount is his manifesto. It's, it, it, and it describes the heart of a believer as it's translated into action into this world. As he's going to do this, they're, they're going to see that this changes everything. He told them then, as he tells us now, that unless they do better than the scribes of the Pharisees, unless their righteousness exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They wouldn't be good enough. And then he explains to the followers of a hollowed out, dead, and legalistic Judaism, as he might be doing to some of us through the text today, what real living faith looks like. And by sermon's end, he concludes with that statement. You know, we looked at it a few weeks ago in chapter 7. The one who hears me and does what I say is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The one who ignores me and doesn't do what I say is like the fool who built his house upon the sand. And we read that the people were astonished at his teaching because he did not teach like their teachers. He taught as one having authority. So what I want to do right now is sort of take you through that whole idea in an abbreviated fashion, starting in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 6 and verse 9, and then reading on to uh, verses 20 to 26, and then chapter 7, 24 to 29, just to get the idea and the flow of what's going on here. So let me just read this for you. At the beginning, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And he's talking about the heart condition of a true Christ follower. They understand that they're not good enough. They understand that they've been saved by grace. They understand that they've received from God better than they deserve. And they live transformed lives. In verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. In verse 21, then he begins this corrective. And he does six of these. We're just going to deal with one today, pretty much. You have heard it said... You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. See that progression. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there and at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. For truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And then over to Matthew seven twenty four to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Being or becoming a Christ follower, being a Christian, 
Coming to Christ, being born again, changes everything. It produces a paradigm shift in your mind, in your heart, and in your living out your faith in this life. It has a global change with regard to who you are and how you are and what you say, think, and do. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount is driving towards. Christ changes everything. Inside out, right side up, living and thinking changes everything. And today we're going to talk about three ways that everything has changed in your life. We're going to talk about three realities, three facts about what your faith does to you and how it manifests itself outside of your body, outside of your mind. And the first thing we need to know is it changes the way that we look at life. It changes the way that you look at life. And you know where you see that the first time? You see that in Matthew 5.21a and 5.22a. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Like I said, Jesus makes six of these kinds of statements. And in the context, he wasn't revoking the law like we talked about. He was clarifying it. And what he's saying basically is this. Conventional wisdom says this. The scribes and the Pharisees say this. But I say to you, I, the Son of God, God the Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, say to you. Conventional wisdom goes out the window and Christian convictions take its place. As you commit your will and your way to Christ and a right understanding of his word, everything changes. You see, in those days, the Pharisees and the people who followed them, like many Christians today in the 21st century, have sort of a soundbite understanding of their faith. They have a shallow understanding of their faith. And it's more of a thing like, as long as I don't do this, as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. But that's not the truth. It's not about what you refuse to do or you fail to do. It's who you are, how you live, how you think. Because right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. We even see this in Matthew 43 through 46. Later on, Jesus will say this again. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the reconcilers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them, for they are children of God. Contact with Christ simplifies and complicates your life because you're wrestling with worldly wisdom day in and day out and godly wisdom divine wisdom true wisdom it simplifies your life because it comes down to the fact that there are really only two ways of thinking the way that you've heard it said and what christ says the way of the world and the way of jesus you've heard it said but i say to you there is the way of christ And there is the way of the world, and the two and the twain shall never meet. We, you, me, have to decide whether we are all in or all out. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And we don't get to cast off this part of God's word and replace it with the way of the world. What did he say? Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill. Truly I say to you, not one yoda or dot 
will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He loved the word of God. Jesus is teaching the word of God. Sanctify us in truth, Father. Your word is truth. And as Jesus is teaching here, he's teaching the Old Testament because that's all they had at the time. Conventional wisdom or Christian convictions, it really simplifies everything. But it also complicates everything because obedience to Christ, living out your faith in a sincere and honest, biblically informed, loving way is going to bring hardship to you. It comes at a cost. In fact, in Matthew 10, 21 and 22, we read this. He says what? Brother will deliver brother over to death, but and father, his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, Christ, Christ is a very divisive figure in history because he says there's one truth, there's one way, and that's it. And in our culture, even in their day, they had ways to manage the law, to manipulate the law, to work their way around the law. But Jesus is having none of that there. And this is why Christ complicates our life. Christ says change the inner person and you change the behavior. The world we live in says change the behavior and that's all that matters. In fact, it's funny. I was reading, I think it was in the May 8th USA Today. They had an article about bias. And it was an editorial, actually. And the author was saying, look, we need to make bias testing mandatory for all people. And I'm like, and what will that do? Once you know their bias, maybe some people like ice cream, maybe some people don't. I think they were talking about something a little more deeper than that. But the bottom line is, what are you going to do? We talked about this before. Are you going to pass laws? You're going to make it illegal to do this, illegal to do that? You can't change the world through legislation. You change the world through salvation one soul at a time. And that's why it's complicated because we don't waste our time with temporal things. And that brings us into conflict with the world around us. We don't have conventional wisdom. We have real wisdom, not wisdom based on sinking sand, but wisdom founded upon the rock, the word of God, Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in Matthew 5, 10, 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because successful kingdom living brings us into conflict with the culture. It makes us stand out, not blend in. And we live in a world that believes in many, many truths, but we only believe in one. So it changes everything. It simplifies our lives to the extent that We have conventional wisdom, and we look at godly wisdom, and we follow godly wisdom. It complicates our lives because many people either A, don't understand, or B, don't want to understand. Many people could care less, and others are downright offended and angry. And so it changes everything. We no longer go through life living for the moment. We go through life with eternity stamped on our foreheads, knowing that lives and souls are at stake, and we focus on things of eternal matter, eternal consequence. You have heard it said... But I say to you, it not only changes the way you view life, it also changes the way you live life, which brings us to our next reality, our next fact. It changes everything. How? Changes the way you deal with anger. Changes the way a Christian deals with anger. This is how a Christian stands out. This is how they are the salt of the earth, how they are influences. This is how they are a city set on a hill, a light not put under the table, but set up to give light to the whole house, to the whole world. Because we don't function the way we used to after we come into contact, saving contact with Christ. And in Matthew 5, 21 to, uh, and 22, it says, You have heard it said that you shall not murder, but 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, some translations say raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. What's going on here? The the Jewish leadership, the Jewish religious leadership had hollowed out the law. And they said, you can be right with God if you don't do this and you don't do that. And he's saying, you know, it's not that at all. He's equating anger with murder. He's equating insults with murder. He's equating uh, looking down on somebody and denigrating them and demeaning them and dehumanizing them with being worthy of hell. I mean, look at the progression here. Look at verse 22. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. See that liable to judgment? It's the same phrase in verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. I want you to think about that. Because anger, anger is the prerequisite of murder. And we think of murder as taking someone's life. And the Jewish leadership and the Jewish people said, well, if I don't murder them, it's okay. But what about an incompetent murderer? Is he okay? He tries to take somebody's life and he fails? Oh, well, he didn't murder. He must be right with God. Or what about the obedient coward who's afraid what would happen if he murdered? If he could get away with it, he would, but he can't, so he won't. Does that make him right with God? And that's what Jesus is walking them through there. We live in a culture that, you know, people call people Nazis. People call people names from different ideologies. We we say things. We, we engage in character assassination. That's murder. That's what Jesus is saying. We, we begin to look at people as things. And so we can insult them because we didn't kill them. We can, we can call them. You know, when you call somebody a fool in that day or, or a raka, which means empty head, what you were calling them was an unbeliever. And when you call somebody an unbeliever, you're saying they're worthy of hell And Jesus is saying, for you to do that, for you to just do that flippantly, makes you worthy of hell. And the anger that he's talking about here isn't the anger, oh, I hit my thumb with a hammer anger, because we'd all be cooked then, wouldn't we? But what he's talking about is a seething, resentful, bitter, buried in the heart, the mind, the soul, and the gut kind of anger. A vengeful, vindictive anger. And he's saying, you're, you're liable for judgment just because you lack the guts to kill them. You've killed them in your mind a million times. And what Jesus says is this is a slippery slope here. You know, forget about murder. If you are resentful and embittered long enough, you'll act on that. You look at the culture today. You have the extreme right and the extreme left. And they, they put no value on the lives of their enemies. And eventually... The fringe of the fringe, and we've seen this even in places like Berkeley and other places, Antifa and these organizations, they start committing acts of violence. And it's just a matter of time until that gets out of hand. Because their hatred, their right-wing or left-wing bigotry, whatever you want to call it, their, their ideology enables them to marginalize and dehumanize. That's what anger does. Spurgeon called anger temporary insanity. You commit murder in your heart. You gossip about people, you sling mud, you call names. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the, to the hell of fire. There's a progression there. Judgment means you might be fined. Insulting to the council, they're going to decide whether you're worthy of death. And really hating people in a protracted, 
deliberate, vindictive, resentful, I'm waiting for them to say something to tick me off kind of way is damning. That's what Jesus is saying. And so becoming a Christ follower, I'm not talking about professing Christians. I can claim to be a blonde. It doesn't make it so. But real Christians engaged in successful kingdom living deal with anger differently. And you know, people talk about, well, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know what? It's not that at all. One God, one Bible, one word. Leviticus 19, 18, there's an Old Testament passage. What does it say? You shall not take vengeance nor bear, look at that, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Particularly, this is Israel, this is God telling Israel how to treat each other. This is God telling the church how to treat one another. Against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself And look at those last four words in English. I am the Lord. That means this is a command. This is not an option. It doesn't matter how they treated you. Your Christian faith, your love of God isn't, and and the outgrowth of that isn't contingent upon how people treat you. You don't get to treat people bad because they treated you bad. You treat others the way you want to be treated. And so he's, he's saying that here. We treat God as God and we don't take his place we don't take vengeance as James said you know the very mouth that praises God is also the mouth that curses and it should not be this way particularly for a Christian Old Testament to New Testament the world says you have a right to be angry but Jesus says you don't have any rights blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who know they are morally bankrupt blessed are those with poverty of spirit who know they have nothing to claim blessed are the unentitled Again, back to uh, uh, Matthew five forty-three to 44 and 45. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Doesn't say that anywhere. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. The word pray there is an active. Doesn't say just pray once. Okay, I got my prayer out of the way I can go on. And pray continually. Pray continually for those who persecute you. Pray continually for those who drive you crazy. So that... For the purpose of, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the reconcilers, for they shall be called children of God. So it changes the way we look at anger. You've heard it said, but I say to you, inside out, right side up living, in an upside down world, successful kingdom living by a Christ follower changes everything. It changes the way people look at you. It changes the way you view life. It changes the way you live life. It changes the way that you deal with your anger and people notice. It's noticeable because we live in a do it unto others before they do it unto you world. I mean, just look at the political discourse. Just look at the crime. Just look at the acts of violence. People get angry and they make people pay, but not the Christ follower, not those who understand that everything that Christ says we're to do, we're to build our house upon the rock, not the sand. And that he is our authority. He's just not some teacher. He is the glorious God above who took the form of a man and came to earth to die for our sin. And we live the way he commands us to. We think the way he tells us to. The third reality is this. It not only changes the way that you look at life, it not only changes the way that you deal with anger, all these things build upon one another. It changes the way that you and I, that we, before God and before this fallen, broken, hurting world, it changes the way that you deal with conflict.
Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Pastor Keith Crosby from Hillside Church in San Jose. Be sure to join us for our Tour of Israel, April 30th to May 9th, 2020. For more information, go to hillside.org forward slash Israel trip.